Lord God, you are amazing. More than we can ever completely understand, that's who you are. You are the God who spoke everything into existence. You are the God who came in Jesus Christ and gave your life for us. Not only did you die, but you rose from the grave for us. And today we are in awe of you. And you are God, the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our guide, our friend. God in us by faith. And so we invite you now to do the work in us that needs to be done. You know it better than we know ourselves. And we thank you for the joy of singing our heart out, of lifting our soul and our spirit to you. And now we pray that your spirit would touch us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. As uh, was mentioned to you just a few moments ago, we are on the edge of a new uh, ministry season using small groups. And actually, we have many small groups that already function within our church family. And we're just trying to kind of supplement and organize that so that it can involve more of us in a chance to grow together with one another in our Christian faith. Uh, Did you know that whether you are part of a small group or go to a Bible study class or come here on Sunday and do life with a few close friends, however we do it, we're to do life with one another in Christ. That actually the Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation or separation, but it's a life that we do as one, following Christ who is our head. The Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament and probably the book of the New Testament that is most uh, admired for its brilliance, for the depth of its teaching, is his letter to the Roman Christians, his friends in Rome. And he takes 11 chapters to carefully explain to them the essence of the gospel. Why do we need to be saved? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How can we be saved? Well, we can be saved through faith in Christ alone. It is by grace, through faith, you have been saved. And then in chapter 11, he kind of wraps that whole theological argument up and he begins chapter 12 with a fascinating word. Does anybody know the first word of the first verse of Romans chapter 12? It is, therefore. Now, I first heard that taught by a Texan preacher named Charles Allen, pastored one of the largest United Methodist churches in America, great gospel preacher. But when he said it, he said it this way, therefore, therefore. And he told me, he said, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you ask yourself, what is it there for? What is it there for? What's the point? What, where, where are we going? What are we building? And so he's building on the previous argument. In light of everything, in light of salvation, in light of the new life we have in Christ, now what? Therefore, we should give ourselves, surrender ourselves fully unto God, which is our reasonable service. And he, he begins to kind of talk about, okay, how do you live it now? How do you actually make this faith of ours work in the real world? And in verse 4 of chapter 12, he says this, Just as each of us has one body and many members, these members do not all have the same function, 
So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Really? Really? I, b- I belong to you? You belong to me? We belong to the other people in this space today? Really? I don't think most of us live like that. that. That's a pretty big idea to get our heads and hearts around. He goes on to say, be devoted to one another in love, beginning verse 9. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Would you read the rest out loud with me, kind of full voice? Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice. All right. So we're supposed to do this, right? Right? This means yes. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to take our faith and make it real and make it a one another kind of lifestyle. You know how many times the New Testament asks us to do life with one another, using that phrase? I, I looked it up the other day. I came up with at least 40 passages of one another. Does anybody know anything in the Bible that we're told to do with one another? Anything? Yell it out. Love one another is 10 times in the New Testament. What else? Pray for one another. Yes. Forgive one another. You were listening first service, but you knew that. Okay, let me give you the list. Uh, Wash one another's feet. Now, we don't do that practically, physically. What does that mean? It means humble yourself to each other. Uh, Be willing to do the humble thing to bless another person's life. Welcome one another. Be considerate to one another. Stop judging one another. Live in harmony with one another. Honor one another. Accept one another. Warmly greet one another. What does the King James Version say? With a holy kiss. Heavy on the word holy, right? The whole idea is that when we see one another, uh, we want to be affectionate. One translation says with a hearty handshake or with a warm hug, you know, that there's something special about our connection. Have fellowship with one another. Submit to one another. Serve one another. Bear with one another. Why is that in there? Because some people need to be born with. You know, they're kind of like a little hard to get along with. Anybody know anybody? No elbows, no no looks around. I mean, I, I love that about the Bible. It's, it's not, there's no pretense here. It's not saying everybody's easy to get along with. Everybody's got it all together and, you know, this is going to be just a cakewalk. No, bear with one another. Be gentle with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. All of these things we do not only in our own strength, but with God's help, by His grace. And for me, sometimes that looks like the, the church family I'm part of. Over the years, I've been in Bible studies with guys. I love this measure of a man that's going to be starting up in another week or so, it's like one of the ways we do life together. And I'm sure that in that experience, there will be a lot of this stuff that we just listed, doing life together. Sometimes it's been in a couple's group in somebody's home. However we do it is not what's most important. What's most important is that we do it. That we do it, that we do it together, 
that we find ways to minister to and encourage each other. So there are four things in the bulletin today that are printed there as an outline for today's message. A few of the one another things that we want to do as Christ helps us. And the first one is accept one another. Romans chapter 15 verse 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Now that's important. Because I don't know about you, but I did not deserve the love of Christ. I didn't earn it. I am not loved because of who I am. I am loved in spite of who I am. And when we hang out in church long enough, we start to forget that. I mean, if if you've been in church more than, say, five years, uh, you're you're probably a pretty nice person. And you start to think that it's your own goodness. You know, after all, you show up on Sunday, maybe put something in the offering plate. Uh, You know, you don't do the big sins, right? We have... I love it as a pastor, someone will be talking about faith and how to know Christ. And inevitably, they'll say, well, I just want you to know, I haven't robbed a bank and I haven't killed anybody. <laughs> Good for you. You know, you get a star in your crown. You know, the next one's probably, I haven't slept around. So, um, no, we haven't done the big sins. So we begin to think we're hot stuff. And, and if you're not careful, if we're not careful, there's sort of this, self-righteous kind of piety and it smells good to us but it doesn't smell so good to them. You know, our reputation is not that great for being wonderfully accepting to anyone. Well, wasn't that Jesus' reputation? And don't we want that to be our reputation? Don't we want that to be true about us? So the Bible says, just as Christ accepted you, you should accept others. Okay, I get it. I didn't deserve your love, Lord. And so I can't withhold it from anybody else. I can't sit in superior place of judgment, feel all perfect about myself when I realize how far gone I've been. We've many times forgotten that we're rotten. Turn to somebody and say, you've forgotten you're rotten. Tell them that. You've forgotten you're rotten. but in Christ you're blessed okay tell them that but in Christ you're blessed all right it's both and right we're we're sinners in need of a savior but if we found Christ we have a new life we're a new creation aren't you glad we're a new creation in Jesus Christ but we didn't make it we didn't deserve it we didn't earn it we receive it And so as the family of God, we find ways to welcome other people, to let them know that we're all just, you know, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We're just one person in need of the goodness of God who has been blessed to find him and anxious to share him. So we really are one. We really do belong to each other. And it's really not about us. It's all about him. So if we're one, then women and men both matter here, right? And locals and internationals all matter to God and to us. And native English speakers and Hispanics and those who learned French as their first language and even Canadian speakers are welcome here, right? 
Right, amen. And Republican Christians and Democrat Christians are welcome here. And dog lovers and cat lovers can get along here. And Spartan fans and Wolverine fans. I know, I know. I'm meddling now, right? I'm meddling now. And Baptists and Catholics and Methodists and non-denominationals and people who have no background are welcome here in Christ. Accept one another. Uh, my experience in, in, in a small group setting is often that that's the place where I, I kind of, it gets down into me, where I feel it, know it the most. The second thing is to encourage each other. Encourage one another. We can do this anywhere, anytime. Encourage one another and build each other up. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, the famous British author G.K. Chesterton once said, the fear of sentimentality is the meanest fear of all. You know, I thought about that. I thought about the fact that I think in our culture at times, being, being a little sentimental, expressing our heart, is seen as kind of weak. You know, so we, we say, um, you know, I'll see you later, when what we really mean is, you know, I'll miss you. And I can't wait to be with you again. Someone a while ago challenged me that there are times when I need to learn to say the last 10%. The, the thing that, that I really feel most deeply, especially the positive, encouraging word that's in my heart. You know, have you ever felt thankful but not said it? Uh, a bell's not a bell till you ring it. A song's not a song till you sing it. Love in your heart wasn't put there to stay because love isn't love till you give it away. I think about thanks more than I express my thanks. Encourage one another in Christ. So, you know, I just need to have the courage to say the, the affection and the, and the appreciation that I really have. Uh, was Mark Twain, that great theologian, who said, I can live one month on one good compliment. And I think that's the truth about most of us. So I was thinking about people I want to encourage. Uh, people who serve faithfully with our children Sunday after Sunday. Aren't you thankful for them? In our nursery and with our elementary school kids. And we don't all see them all the time, but it would be a good thing to look them up and share your heart. I was thinking about those who volunteer in our youth ministry. And, and I'm so excited about the things that are happening there. Pastor Matt and their group and Sunday night and just a lot of good stuff. And and. I just think it's important to say the thanks we feel. Or those who come early on Sunday morning and help get this place ready and serve on our worship team week in, week out. I just think it's cool to be part of the church with the most amazing upright base in the state. I don't know what that thing is, but I love it. Um, somebody chopped it off and hooked it up and plugged it in, and I was listening to Andy play it today. What a gift, you know, what a gift. And... Uh, we just need to get it out more. Get it out more. Say what you really think. Express what you really feel. Encourage someone else's heart. Greet one another with joy and affection 
and say the thing you really need to say, that you want to say, to bless another person's life, encourage one another. The third thing is to be honest with each other. This one hurts a little. Because from what I know, from my experience in church most of my life, we're, we're not as good at this as we think we are or we wish we were. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 in the message says, what this adds up to then is this. No more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Why is, why is that in the Bible? Because our natural tendency, once we have faith in Christ and get in Christian community, is to kind of dress up and suck it up and put it all on and then show up on Sunday and, you know, call it all good. And we don't want anybody to see our faults. We don't want anybody to know our, our, our weakness or our fears or our struggles. But Scripture says that if we live at that level, if we live at that sort of superficial, artificial level, uh, we hurt one another and we hurt ourselves, right? I mean, that's the point of that Scripture. You end up hurting yourself. A few years ago, I, I heard John Ortberg teach, and he was talking about those of us who struggle with, with a habit or an, or an addiction or just a, a besetting sin of some kind, and how our whole focus and energy is making sure nobody ever finds out. We, we, we will do almost anything to make sure that no one ever knows about that particular struggle. And what happens is we stay stuck and we stay alone. And we experience what we now know to be shame. Shame is when guilt turns in. And it's not just that I've done some bad things. It's now I'm a bad person. And so as he taught about it, I'm thinking, man, I mean, this is just the truth about me. This is the truth about us. There's, to find a safe place where I can even just take down a bit of my persona, where I can trust a little bit of my stuff to somebody, I, that, I, don't, know, I don't even know what that would be like. And then he said, there is an incredible freedom and release that happens when you have some Christian in your life who doesn't just love you because of who they think you are, but because of who you really are. The shame is taken away. The guilt is released. You know, you know there's quite a bit in the New Testament. Jesus taught about it. James teaches about it, about forgiving one another. Confess your sins to one another, James says, and you'll be healed. And we kind of all go, <laughs> I don't need to confess my sins to anybody but God. Well, in one sense, that's true. God is the only one who can forgive sins, okay? But when somebody else who's a follower of God speaks words of understanding and forgiveness into my life, it, it takes that to a whole other level. Some real person, flesh and blood, person I know and trust speaks forgiveness and grace to me. And now, now it sinks in at a deeper level than it has ever been before. You know, as a pastor for 36 years, I think some of the most 
holy moments of my life have been when somebody trusted me with their stuff. And in, in, in that sacred space, you're like, okay, first of all, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so blessed that you trusted me. I would never violate that trust. And secondly, I am so glad that you, that you now have the gift of, of the freedom and the joy that comes with being loved for who you really are. And somehow, somewhere, my prayer is that all of us will find that. Acceptance, encouragement, authenticity, not just smiling on Sunday morning and you know, passing each other sort of superficially, but really, really getting into one another's lives and loving one another in Christ. And finally, doing life together. Our key text back from Romans 12, be devoted to one another. That's strong, friends. Honor one another above yourselves. That's not easy. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. You know, the things we've talked about, being accepted, being encouraged, uh, having permission to be real, those are the things that increase our spiritual fervor. They raise the spiritual temperature of our lives. And it is my prayer that all of us will find those relationships and those uh, venues where we can share this with one another. We can do it right here, right now. There's a different place to do that in a classroom or with a few uh, close spiritual friends. There's an opportunity to do it in the venue of a small group that meets in somebody's home and does a study group together. However, wherever, whenever, do life together. Love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, and all the more as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. So it was probably, I don't know, 20 years ago when I first started feeling this challenge to go to a deeper place relationally, to take my faith and make it real with a few people that I really trusted and really believed in. And iron sharpens iron. You know, let's do this. Let's do this. I read a book, We Really Do Need Each Other, by Reuben Welch. Uh, Reuben Welch is a, is a Nazarene pastor from Southern California who every year taught a course on group dynamics. It's kind of his thing. And one year, at the end of the course, there were about a dozen people in the class, they decided that as their final assignment, they would do what they'd been talking about, and they decided to go take a day and climb a, a hill about three miles up near their campus. And they kind of make it a you know, living experiment in relationship. So he said what began to happen was what often happens in our relationships. There were a few people who were really fit and experienced, and they charged up the mountain, right? Charged up the hill. And then there were the majority of people who were somewhere in the middle who kind of muddled along together. And then there was this one lady, her name was Jane, who was really struggling. And uh, as he watched, Don, who was the most fit guy in the group, the one who was kind of the leader, he saw Jane and he came back and started walking with her and tried to help her along and encourage her. But the rest of the group kind of ran on ahead. And in fact, some of them got to the top and started to yell, you know, 
Come on, you can make it. Try a little harder. You know, it's going to be great when you get here. Uh, but of course, it really didn't help. <laughs> Just probably made her feel worse. And, and uh, Jane never got to the top. And so the ones who did, you know, they kind of were hung out there for a while, came back down, met Dawn and Jane on the way down. And when they got back to the bottom, they said, you know, I mean, that was kind of the opposite of what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a together thing, but it didn't turn out that way. Let's, let's do it again, and let's do it right. And next time, this is the rule. If, if we don't all get to the top, nobody gets to the top. We're, we're going we're gonna to take the time we need you know, and, and encourage each other and help each other. And sure enough, that's what they did the next time, and they all got to the top. And Reuben, when he tells the story, says, from his experience, most churches are like the first. There is a kind of a few overachievers who seem to be doing great and, you know, get to the top of the mountain. But, and then there's this kind of majority group that struggle on, and then there's usually some stragglers who never get to the top. And that in Christ, our walk should be more like the second trip. Let's, let's not leave anybody behind. Let's look for the person who's struggling and let's make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit with the bond of peace. So I told that story in the last church I served. And after we dismissed, a, a woman came almost running up the aisle, very quickly up to me. And she said to me, I'm Jane. And it took me a bit. I'm like, uh, that, that book was written a long time ago. I don't think you climbed the hill. And she said, no, no, no. She said, I'm Jane. I, I've been in church most of my life, and I'm struggling, and I don't always get it, and I just feel like I'm never going to get to the top, and um, nobody really cares. And I looked at her, and I said, you came to the right place. Now, to be honest, uh, I don't think our church was really there yet. It's what I call an aspirational statement. You know what I mean? We want to be that, right? We're gonna, we, in our hearts, that's who we want to be. And that's what I would say about us. You know, That's who we want to be. We want to be the safe place where everyone's accepted, where everyone's encouraged, where everyone has permission to be who we really are, and we do this journey together. So I love the fact that in the last week of Jesus' life, he talked to the 12 guys that he did this with. And he did it. He did it with 12 friends, one of whom betrayed him. And he gathered them in this room. And according to Luke's Gospel, when he started this meal together, he said, I have eagerly desired to share this meal with you. I mean, that like, sends chills down my spine. Can you imagine being in the room and have Jesus say to you, there's no place I'd rather be, there's no people I'd rather be with, I want to do this with you. And then he taught us, and then he said, now, don't forget this. Don't forget me. I want you to do this. We didn't, I love it. We didn't make this up. 
We didn't come up with, you know, wouldn't it be good if we cut up some bread and poured some juice glasses and remembered Jesus? We didn't, we didn't do that. He did it. He did it. He did it so we could do it together. And so when I come to the Lord's table, I think about the way Luke told the story. And I think about Jesus saying to me, Glenn, I eagerly want to do this with you. Because as broken as you are, I love you. And I want the family of faith that you do this journey with, I want us, I want you to do it together. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, drink of this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather around your table in just a moment, we thank you that you are the one who invented what we're about to do. You thought it up and you gave it to us as a gift. And just as you said to your disciples that you wanted to do it with them, I believe today you want to do it with us. And you know all the stuff we've listened to today. You know those of us who struggle to feel accepted or who wish we could be more expressive and encouraging. It's hard for us. And you know those of us that have hidden places and we don't even really know how to let you in, let alone anyone else. But as we come to this, your table, as we come to receive the bread and receive the cup, we remember that in Jesus Christ, we are accepted and we are forgiven. We are treasured and we are valued. You know everything about us and you love us anyway. And so, Lord, may this be a holy moment at your feet. And, Lord, may we learn to translate it day after day into the way we love one another, accept one another, encourage one another, are honest with one another, and do life with one another. In your name, amen. Today we're going to serve communion by passing it through the rows. And uh, we'll take the bread first and hold the bread until we all get some. And then as an act of uh, community, 
we'll eat together. And then we'll do the same with the cup and drink together. Uh, let's sing. And Usher, would you come?